Good morning, you guys stand up and join us. Let's sing Lift Your Eyes. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us, but he is overcome. Fill the skies, fill the skies with a song as heaven sings along to glorify the sun. Who is like none compare? There's no one like our God. Great and greatly to be
sweet name, isn't it? That name comes a lot of things. Lord, Savior, King, Brother. In Christ, we are all children of God, co-heirs with him. What a great thing, right? I love that, that we can come this morning and we can, we can worship his majesty, and yet we can also run to his arms. And if you're here this morning and, and you need to do that, do it. Be reminded that God is both holy and near. He's most high, I've heard it said, and most nigh. Amen? He's right here with us, and we can, we can grasp not just who he is, but his presence in us and with us. And so as we do that, as we sing this next song and join in an unending praise that began with the creation of the world and will continue on for all eternity. This God that we worship is the God that is right here with us. Amen? Father, would you continue to receive this praise from us? Would you continue to make known your presence here to us so that we can join together as one body with Christ as our head to lift up you, our King, our Lord, our Father, one who loves us so much that he sent his only son for us. We praise you and worship you. Amen.
stops for now, God, that, that creation, that the heavens and the earth all around this morning is lifting up praise to you. So God, as we continue this morning to do that, as we open your word and hear from you, let your spirit move within us to change us, to be more like the one whom we give you all the glory and the honor and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I am, um, <clears throat> as a fellow worshiper of you alongside you on Sunday mornings, I'm grateful for our worship team. I'm grateful for uh, those who, not just today, but consistently on a, on a faithful basis, lead us into worship and lead us to uh, be reminded of to have a high view of God, to see God for who He is. And uh, to be reminded of that on, on a weekly basis, because I need that in my heart, and I pray that you, I, I know you do as well. So, my name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you're with us. We've got a, a group of women coming back from a women's retreat up in Miracle Camp this weekend, so be praying for them on their way back home this morning, and be praying that the work that God did in them, and in, in their relationships, and in their relationship with the Lord, while they were away, would continue as they come back home and uh, go back into normal, uh, regular, week-to-week life. Our first impression team uh, volunteers are going to begin passing down the connection card booklets. If you are uh, not with us on Easter, we're mixing things up as far as our seating arrangement. And Heather and I are still trying to find our home. We thought we'd had a home here, but the students kicked us out this morning. I set my, set my stuff down. Isn't that like marking your spot? Uh, but it didn't mark it, and so we had to move over here, and so the YouTube video, my giant head, might be in the way of that video this morning during worship. So we're still trying to find our home. Maybe you are as well, and, um, but all that to say, connection cards, if you want to, this row, kind of hand them over, uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, some next steps for you to consider as you look at those uh, cards. First of all, if you're new with us, fill out the gray section, but the next steps at the bottom, baptisms, we're having baptisms next Sunday as well as June 4th. Those are two specific dates that we have people being baptized. So if those dates work for you, if that's the next step for you, uh, mark that box. If those dates don't work for you and you want to, if that's still a next step for you, mark it. And so we could um, uh, talk to you more about that, hear more of your story, and encourage you to celebrate God's work in your life on a Sunday morning through baptism. And then if you're not serving in a ministry yet, if you call Crosspoint home and you're not serving in a ministry yet, mark that box because we'd love to try to connect you to try out a ministry. No, you're not signing up for a, uh, a 20-year contract. Uh, there's actually no contract involved. It's just simply a covenant that we, as the body of Christ, serve wholeheartedly alongside one another. So we want to try to connect you to a ministry. Whether you're a, a member or a tender, there's roles and opportunities for you. So mark that box if it fits you. If you have a Bible with you on your lap or your device, get to the book of Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 4, and then we're going to get to chapter 9 by the end of the message. If you don't own a good Bible, please get uh, one of the free ones at Guest Connections afterwards and take that home with you. Let me ask you a question as we get started here. Why does Cross Point Community Church exist? 
Why does the local church exist? Why do we gather together? Why do we call this church home? Why does Crosspoint exist? Why did God call my wife and I and others to start this church uh, in, let's see, it'd be August of 2003 we began Sunday services. Why do we exist? There are moments in your life that you uh, don't forget, right? I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch on Friday. I couldn't tell you um, some random things like that over the past week, but there are some uh, specific things, specific moments that you remember in your life, and then I, I feel like it's God's grace at, at work in your life that helps you remind, uh, be reminded of these things. And one of those moments is um, January 2001. Heather and I were on our way back from a church gathering in Washington, and we were driving back down 24, going back toward uh, Eureka, and uh, we had left a church gathering there, and it was that night where God we feel like God affirmed and confirmed in our hearts that this was the uh, church that we were called to start alongside others. It had been months of uh, prayer leading up into that. And, and that whole calling thing can be somewhat mystical and mysterious and difficult to try to communicate uh, to someone of what that means and what it looks like. But all I can tell you is as we drove back home that night down 24, um, not only was there emotion involved, but there was just this um, a significant um, affirmation that this was the land, so to speak, that God had called us to, called us to. This was the group of people, this area as well, the Eureka area, but as well as surrounding communities. This was the land and the people that God had called us to. And so God was not calling us to leave, but to stay, but in staying, we would be going, if that makes sense, going and making disciples. So, uh, that was over 16 years ago now. We've been married 21 in June. And so for 75% uh, of our marriage, if I'm decent at math, 76%, if I use a calculator, um, that's been the, one of the dominant factors of our marriage, one of the dominant aspects of our life and our faith and our journey with the Lord. So why does this church exist? Has that reason changed over the years? Too often why a church exists, it does change over the course of a church's life. And what happens is the church begins to, with a vision of making disciples and reaching the lost and seeing people grow in their faith in Christ. And, but then over time, the church loses that. And they begin to um, turn inward. They don't want to go anymore. They want to stay. And they want to turn inward. They retreat from engaging culture and they begin dying. They begin plateauing. Church loses that desire to go. Other things become more important, such as keeping church members happy, preserving traditions, preserving status quo, or that pastors just kind of bind time until his retirement. Or they become a denominational outpost. They bear the name of a denomination, but the life of the church, the life of the gospel is gone. To be clear, I'm not saying those are the case around here. I believe there are temptations that we face, though, uh, that we would be naive or arrogant to think that we are above those or not susceptible to those same temptations. It's easy for a church to lose sight of why we're here. We articulate our vision, and we call it building 3D relationships, that we want to be a community of people who is uh, devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, 
and driven to reach people. While that vision the Lord has called us to, called us to in 2001, wasn't as catchy as that. It was like two paragraphs long, okay? And it was uh, really bad. I mean, it was, it was good, good theologically and stuff, terrible as far as how to communicate it. So now it's a little bit more streamlined. But all that is, is the words of Jesus that says, uh, great commandment, great commission, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, devoted to Jesus, to love our neighbor as ourself, dedicated to one another in the family of God, and then to go and make disciples. We want to be driven to reach people. We want to go and make disciples. And sometimes we assume that making disciples, if I were to say that phrase to you, we, we assume making disciples is simply an inward thing, simply to equip and reach or equip and prepare and teach those who already call this church home. But making disciples is that as well as going outward to make disciples. So it's not either or, it's both. And that vision is what we'll be reminded of this morning from God's Word. And we need this reminder. We need to be challenged and encouraged to press into loving God, loving our neighbor, and making disciples. I need this reminder. You need this reminder because I have room to grow in it, and so do you. And I pray the Holy Spirit presses in on our hearts today. I pray He steps on your big toe. I pray He kind of gets up into your face reminding you what it means to really follow Christ and what it looks like to fish for people. So what is a disciple of Jesus? Because we we look at these ancient words of Jesus that says, uh, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that God has commanded us to teach. And so we look at those words, those ancient words, and yet they're, they're timeless and they're relevant here in 2017. So what is a disciple of Jesus? Well, a disciple is a committed, lifelong follower of Jesus. A disciple is a learner. A disciple desires to become like their teacher, and in this case, the teacher is Jesus Christ. We want to become more and more like him. During Jesus' ministry, there were many who were interested in the things that he was doing, interested in his words, but very few who actually followed and learned from him and sought to become like him. You read in the book of Acts, and there's about 120 left at that point who were uh, committed, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And right after that, the church explodes and thousands get saved and the church has never been the same since. But at that point, there were about 120. So there were a lot of people during the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who were interested in his words. But you would say maybe it was a casual acquaintance that they had with him. I think the American church in general, us included, we're not above this, is if we're honest, we've created this idea that it's okay to become a Christian but not a disciple of Jesus. Like, we'll mark the box of Christian on some survey, but we, we, we pit that at odds with being a disciple of Jesus, as if those are two different things. When we look at Scripture, and they're not at all. To be a Christ follower is to be a disciple, and vice versa. I want to be a part of a church that's sold out on impacting this world with God's glory and to make disciples. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the fam- I want to be a part of a church family that is all in on that. I want to be part of a body of Christ that says, you know what, I'm a member of this body and I'll do my part. If, if I'm a toe, I'll be the toe. If I'm the hand, I'll be the hand. If I'm the mouthpiece, I'll be the mouthpiece. I believe God has been doing that work for a lot of years. 
but I don't want to just hit cruise control. And that's the temptation that any local church experiences. We get to a certain stage of life and we begin to hit cruise control. There's more kingdom work to be done. There's more people to be reached. You have people to be reached in your circles of influence and so do I. I pray we'd be reminded of that today. So back on March 5th, we began this journey through the New Testament. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus, birth of Jesus, sang some Christmas songs in the middle of March. It was awesome. And then looked at, um, um, what did we look at? Uh, 12-year-old Jesus. And then we looked at the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. Today, we look at him calling his first disciples. And at the baptism of Jesus that week, we, we heard the words of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, which he said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is come near. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And one way he was preparing for that was by preaching the same message that Jesus would preach. And we pick up the story then in Matthew 4, verse 17, and we're reminded of this. When it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Same message that John preached, same message that we saw in the uh, Old Testament, same message that we see in the apostles in the book of Acts. So what is repentance? Well, it's a heart change that leads to a directional change. It's a heart change that leads to a belief change. To repent means to uh, change your perspective, to no longer disagree with the Lord, but agree with Him, to change your focus from yourself to the Lord, from walking in darkness to walking in the light. Repent is an action word, an action word that begins internally in your heart and mind with the Holy Spirit at work in your life, but then it leads to this outward behavior and outward actions that look differently because your inside, your heart has been transformed. Repentance is to allow the, the Lord to change your mind so that that would lead to a directional and a belief change in your life. For the believer, do you remember the first time or season where you repented? where you repented of your, your current way of life and thinking and confessed Jesus that, Jesus, I want to follow you as Lord. Now, for some of you, it was a definitive day. For others of you, it was a definitive season. It was a season of your life that you look back on. But either way, you were walking out of that season, out of that day, a changed person. Was everything perfect? No. But you'd, you'd walked out a changed person because you'd met the one who changed you. You'd met the one who was changing lives. And from that moment of repentance, you began to follow the Lord. For those of you here who are not, have not had that moment of repentance, that season of turning and uh, no longer disagreeing but agreeing, I pray that that would happen today. I pray your heart would be humble and tender to, the, to God's work in your life. Now another question to the believer are you continuing in an attitude of repentance? Because it's easy to slip into this thinking of, oh yeah, that's when I repented, uh, that's when I got saved. But then forget that repentance is this ongoing posture of a believer. Because re repentance reflects a heart that is pursuing humility, a heart that rejects spiritual pride, a heart that remains tender to the Spirit's transforming and sanctifying work in our lives. Is there an area of your life that you become stubborn to the Lord in? Is there an area of your life that you become stiff-necked like an Israelite instead of repentant like a Christ follower? I pray that today as the Lord exposes that in you because he loves you, that you would say yes to that work. 
and you would no longer disagree, but you would agree. We repent because, as Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king of kings, Jesus, has come in the flesh and is coming again. And so we repent because the king is coming. And in, in the meantime, the king has asked us to join his kingdom work. He's begun the kingdom work in his coming. For the Christ follower, we are declaring that our identity is no longer in the things of this world or this world in itself. Our identity is now in the Lord and his eternal kingdom and the work of that kingdom. That he is the king that we follow. And so because of that, we can't hold on to some old way of life, old pattern, and yet still follow the Lord. We need to let go of that, drop that, so that we can follow him wholeheartedly, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So knowing we can't hold on to our ways, we live in this posture of repentance. We agree with the Lord in his ways and that his ways lead to life. God's kingdom is ruled not by us, but by him. There is authority in the kingdom, and so we don't just do what is right in our own eyes or believe what is right in our own eyes or what makes sense or we're not dictated by what culture thinks Instead, we are people of the book, if you will. We are people who agree with the Lord in his ways and his word. We trust that through his word, his living and active word, that he would not only reveal who he is, but reveal who we are and what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to worship him, what it looks like to love him, love others, and make disciples. That we wouldn't do what is right in our own eyes, but we would trust in him. We want to be a people who are engaged in his kingdom agenda. We want to be a people who are answering Jesus' prayer that his will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. And with that kingdom thought in mind, in light of Jesus' message to repent, we move now into Jesus calling his first disciples because his kingdom work is all about disciple making. It's all about going and making disciples. And today in Matthew 4, we're, we're there, but chronologically, This is not the first time that Peter and Andrew have encountered Jesus. In John 1, it tells the first encounter where Andrew uh, finds the Messiah, discovers the Messiah, goes and tells his brother Simon, Simon, I've found the Messiah. And Simon comes out and Jesus renames Simon to Peter. And just to make it really confusing when people change their names in the Bible, it happens all the time. But here, Simon becomes Peter. That's the first encounter that they had. And so Peter and Andrew, at this point in the New Testament storyline, are aware of Jesus. They would be considered a disciple of Jesus at this point. They're spending time with him. Uh, Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law in this time. They've seen miracles of water into wine. They've listened to teaching of Jesus. And so this encounter that we read of in Matthew 4 is not the first time. We need to keep that in mind. Verse 18, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They'd been following Jesus, and yet they were doing this job as fishermen. And here Jesus is inviting them to a new level of relationship, a relationship that would be full-time, a relationship that would have a purpose, a vision that Jesus is moving them toward. 
Kingdom work is beginning, and it is beginning with the calling of these first disciples to drop what they're holding on to and follow him. There's this intensely relational and intimate moment here. Jesus is calling them to be, to be in relationship, to be near, to be with him, to learn from him from this point forward for all their lives, and they respond immediately. He's not calling the disciples to follow him because he's lonely, that he needs a, a road trip buddy, that he, he, has, he needs companionship. He's calling them to a relationship with the king to join the king of kings in the kingdom work. And the work of the kingdom is to fish for people because God's kingdom is never neutral. It's never plateaued. It's never withering on the vine. It's never dying. It's never retreating. God's kingdom is always advancing. And he calls us as his people to be a part of advancing that kingdom work, to reach others with the hope and love and the faith the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We look at the story and, and we see their immediate response, their willingness to stop, drop, and follow here. And we look and that, that's pretty radical. To be, about the, to be about your business and then just kind of drop what you're holding onto and follow Jesus, that seems really radical. And yet we look at Scripture and this is just the norm. Peter will tell Jesus in Matthew 19 that he left everything to follow him. Easter last week, when we looked at Matthew 16, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That by dying to self, that you and I actually find life. At the end of Luke 9, Jesus is encountering people who say they, they want to follow him, but then they keep giving these excuses as to why they can't. Well, first let me go do this. Well, first let me go do that, and then I'll follow you. And, and at the end of this little section of, of people giving excuses after excuses, because what they're, what they're doing is they're revealing that they really don't want to follow Jesus. They want to have a casual acquaintance with him. But they don't really want to commit or follow him. And so at the end of Luke 9, Jesus said this to one of their excuses. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you've ever been in my office, um, you'll find this picture of a farmer with uh, hands on a plow and he's plowing a field. And I've had that in my office since the day I began, uh, began as a pastor in 2007. And my wife got it for me because that verse, Luke 9, 62, I think it is, was a significant one that the Holy Spirit impressed upon me through another brother that moved me to obedience. Because for me, that, that picture symbolizes this moment that I repented of my excuses and left State Farm in 07. Crazy. 10 years almost. I had all sorts of excuses. What about the pension? What about the insurance? What about the salary? What about the, um, what about my family? What about the future? What about the salary? What about the insurance? What about the pension? Have I mentioned this? On and on. And while they appear like good excuses, like the ones we read of in, in Luke 9, I got to go bury my dad. That was one of them. That seems like a good excuse. And yet it revealed something in his heart. And while those other things like I just shared seem like good excuses, valid excuses, what they were were faithless and fearful. Faithless and fearful thoughts. And they kept me from obedience. And then you read Luke 9.62 and the living and active word presses upon your heart and you go, yep, 
That's faithless and fearful. To be a part of the kingdom of God, there is great joy and peace to know that the king of kings will not lose or forsake you, that he will be faithful. And after nearly 10 years of being uh, jumping off the corporate cliff is the little line I use, and I still like, I still like it. Um, after nearly 10 years, I could tell you that God's been faithful. God has been faithful. Has it been a walk in the park, skipping through fields with daisies? Probably not. But to walk and live by faith is never, Jesus didn't promise that. What he did promise that if you walk and live by faith, you will find greater joy and life in doing so than you would if you were to walk by sight. And that's what I could tell you in a thousand different stories of how not only God's been faithful, but God has used this journey to shape and transform our own hearts, shape and transform our kids, hopefully in a good way, I think so and uh, increase our love for him, our love for people, and our desire to make disciples. See, these disciples in Matthew 4, in this moment, they're leaving behind their comfort, all that was familiar. They're leaving behind their careers, being fishermen. This is all they've ever known. They're leaving behind their possessions. They were not super wealthy, but the disciples weren't peasants either. They had a good, steady job, leaving that behind. Their position in society... Jesus is all about, you come after me and you will not be in it for yourself. You will not be in it for your own name. You'll be in it for my name, he says. Because my name is above every other name. And they will learn humility. They will learn last and first and, and all of that that Jesus will teach. And so they'll give up their position in society. They're leaving behind their extended family. It's kind of funny thinking of Zebedee. He's just like... Okay, I guess I'll clean up. I guess I'll do the rest of the chores today. I guess I'll wrap up. He's just left in the boat. Love that. They're leaving behind their safety. Not just comfort, but safety. Jesus would remind them uh, as he taught them that you're going to face persecution. His, all all his, his historians would say that the apostles or disciples of the time, they're going to die of, of martyrdom. They're going to die for their faith. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. Oh, that sounds like fun. Doesn't sound like very safe. So we tend to be all about safety in the American church. Safety, safety, safety. Elbow pads, knee pads, helmets. Safety, safety, safety. But in a desire to be safe, we forget what life in the kingdom of God is really like. What it really is in Scripture. Do you know the number one factor on why people especially a younger generation, don't go on the mission field? Shout out answers. Any guesses? Fear? Yep. Along those lines. Not safe. What, what, what's the main, it's, it's not money, what's the main person in, the, in a missionary's life, no matter what their age is, that's telling them not to go? Parents. Ding, ding, ding. Over 100 years ago, John Mott led the greatest missionary mobilization the church has ever seen, the student volunteer movement. And he considered parents to be the primary obstacle standing in the way of missions mobilization. He wrote this, I was talking to a young man less than a week ago, and he said, the moment that I speak of going as a foreign missionary, it seems to me that a thousand cords are pulling me back. My parents begin to plead with me. My friends begin to plead with me. 
And then he writes, it is not if man permits, it is if God permits. And if God permits, then man must submit. Now, this message is not just about cross-cultural missions work or leaving corporate jobs to enter uh, pastoral work. That's a good word for us parents because some of you are raising future missionaries. You don't know that, but what you want to do as you disciple your children is you want to speak life into them. You want to call them to walk and live by faith. You want to give that example, follow my life as I do this, and I'm going to show you what it looks like in Scripture. Because may we not be parents who plead with our children to disobey God's command. May we not be friends who plead with others to disobey God's command because it's not safe. Because it's unsure. I don't know. And we cast doubt instead of calling them to obedience and calling them to walk and live by faith and not by fear. So this is not just about full-time missions work. This message is about us getting a biblical vision of what it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Him who fishes for people in whatever context that we've been called to and providentially placed. Are we holding tightly to things such as possessions, position in society, safety, extended family, our kids, comfort? Are we holding so tightly to them that they have become an idol? Because remember whose kingdom we are a part of. It's not your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's the king of kings. It's his authority. It's his work. It's his power and presence at work. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. You and I can't follow without fishing. Jesus does not say, follow me, and I will try to get you to fish, but if that's too far outside of your comfort zone, it's totes okay, it's no bigs. All right? He definitely wouldn't say totes. <laughs> I've got two kids, so. For tra- uh, your, your translation may say, uh, fishers of men. He's not talking about forcing us into, making us into robots. We, we, we don't like the word make. He's not talking about making us into robots and forcing us kicking and screaming. He's promising to Peter and Andrew here, I'll do a work in you. I'll do a work. I'll grow in you this desire and this ability to go outward with your faith, to share and to show and tell. We are saved from our sin, but then we are saved for a mission David Platt said this, you will not see in the Gospels, in the New Testament for that matter, you will not see a person or you will not see a people who are satisfied to receive forgiveness at Jesus' expense and go on living in a casual acquaintance with him. People were radically changed after meeting Jesus. And notice what Peter and Andrew did not say to Jesus as he was walking along the road. Hey, hey Jesus, wait up. You got, you got room for two more? They didn't say that. No, it was Jesus who called out Peter and Andrew. He takes the initiative. You and I didn't volunteer. He has called us. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been called out and you've been called too. So, disciple of Jesus, when you feel less than qualified, you have those days, you don't have to raise your hand, I'll go first, I'll raise my hand. You have those days where you feel less than qualified? Remember, on those days, the words of Jesus in, in John 17, or John 15, It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, work that will mean something, work that will have an eternal and everlasting impact. Peter and Andrew are pretty ordinary guys. 
to begin a kingdom movement. I would not choose them for my kickball team. But Jesus picks them. They're unlikely to say the least, but that's what we see in Scripture. We talk about it a lot, that God uses ordinary people to do His extraordinary kingdom work. 1 Corinthians 1 is a great comfort to us in this area that God delights in showing His power in our weakness. His strength when we are weak is good news for us because it forces us to be dependent on Him. Peter and Andrew would learn what it looks like to be dependent on Him, and then we get to the book of Acts and we see them being fully dependent on God. And so this truth of God using unlikely people then leads us to Matthew chapter 9 and Jesus calling Matthew Himself Starting in verse 9, in chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Peter and Andrew are fishermen. Matthew is sitting at a toll booth. He's a tax collector. It's another reminder that God uses ordinary, unlikely people. So what's a tax collector? Well, in Rome at the time, they sold the right to, be, to uh, collect taxes in different lands that had been conquered by the Roman Empire. And so you'd go to Rome, you'd buy this right, you'd come back, you'd hire the locals and you'd set up this pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing, never heard of it. He'd set this up and that you'd begin to collect taxes. You'd pay, you'd charge whatever you'd want to charge in order to um, uh, pay yourself. Make as much money as you want. Matthew is one of these locals that had been hired. There were all kinds of taxes. Bridges, crossing a bridge, wine, bread, fruit, fish. You ever think about that dynamic? Peter and Andrew... Matthew might have taxed them. And here Jesus is inviting tax collectors and Peter and Andrew are like, mm, uh, wait, 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 why are you including him? So a Roman would hire Jews to work for them in this tax collecting business. Consequently, if you were a, Jew, if you were a Jewish person who sold out to this, you were a disgrace to your family. You were ejected from the synagogue. You were the scum of the earth because you were stealing from your own people. You were a traitor. You were an extortioner. In fact, if you were hired as a tax collector, you had a category all into yourself. Notice he says, sinners and tax collectors. That's like a whole other echelon here of dirtiness. And Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. And, Jewish calls, and Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. The tax collector was hated by all, and Jesus loves and calls Matthew. And in the end, Matthew's going to write these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, this gospel account. Charles Spurgeon said this regarding Matthew. He was at this time busy taking, but he was called to a work that was essentially giving. That sounds like repentance, right? That sounds like a change of mind that's leading to a change of action. Where Matthew would no longer uh, look for himself, live for his own kingdom, he would live for God's kingdom. And then we read that Jesus began eating not only with Matthew, but with other sinners and tax collectors. Now remember, these people are very public about their sin. They know what God feels about it, and they could care less. 
These are Matthew's friends, his former business partners. And Jesus right here is showing Matthew what it looks like to fish for people. He's saying, follow my way of life. Follow my words. See how I'm full of grace and truth. See how I engage and how I don't disengage, but how I engage, share meals, share time. We live in a culture and society that is increasingly hostile to the things of God. We must be Christ followers who, who follow in his example here, who engage and who do not disengage, who uh, go out into the world and don't hide in our bomb shelters and hunker down. But instead, we engage reflecting Christ who is full of grace and truth. Jesus was not uncomfortable here. His other guys might have been, but he was not uncomfortable because he loves people. For as smart as the Pharisees were, they sure did seem to be confused a lot. They thought if he's the Messiah, then, then he should love righteous people. He should love law abiders, the people like the Pharisees who spent their entire lives trying to do outward things to earn God's love. And so they asked this question, why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? In other words, we are confused. Why does he seem like he likes spending time with people who are nothing like him? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm here for people in their very, very honest moments know that something's wrong. I'm here for people who look in the mirror and say, nobody else knows this, but there's something wrong in my heart. That I'm not well, that I have this disease of sin that I can't seem to shake on my own and I can't find healing. I can't find escape. I've tried different things, but I can't find it. People who recognize that they're lost and in need of saving. There's a humility when you have to admit to go to the doctor, right? Some of you are anti-doctor folk. I'm married to a nurse, and so she works with uh, folk like that, all right? I probably will be one. I'm becoming one. I'm 40. Look out when I'm 80. But there's humility when you have to, say, when you have to go to the doctor and say, I, I can't fix this. I don't know what's going on. I need healing. Same when it comes to coming to Christ. Jesus came for the sick. The Pharisees were the ones who thought they, they had these outward actions that led to the transformation of a heart. So they were the ones saying, I'm not sick, even though they were. They were saying, I'm healthy. I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't have any issues. I can find my own healing. I can find my own strength. I'm not sick. And Jesus goes on then and gives one of his mission statements. For I, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And his call to sinners, people like you and me, is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. For some of you, you need to be reminded that Jesus still calls the Matthews. That he still calls people that are far from God, who could care less about God. And if you've ever been shown or told otherwise... Look at Scripture and let that be your truth. We are never too far that God doesn't call us back. And some of us need to be reminded that, uh, of the Pharisees here, that we are all born sick. And so we don't assume that we don't need saving or don't need healing, but we run, we run to the one who brings that. Or maybe like you, Many of you have been interested in the things of Jesus, interested in his words, curious about him. But like the people of his day, you were not a disciple of him, a committed lifelong follower 
and learner of Jesus Christ. The David Platt quote again, you will not see in the Gospels, in the New Testament for that matter, you will not see a people who are satisfied to receive forgiveness at Jesus' expense and go on living in a casual acquaintance with Him. Many of you have a casual acquaintance with the Lord. And I pray that today you'd be reminded of the meaning of what it really looks like to follow Christ. What it really looks like to join Him in His kingdom work on this earth. One thing I love about the scriptures is being able to see the transformation of lives. For instance, we, we see Peter here uh, his, get renamed in John 1. Then we look at Matthew 4. We see kind of the bumbling and stumbling of the Gospels, great steps of faith, great moments of faithlessness. Then we get to the book of Acts, Holy Spirit poured out, and we see Peter and John and the disciples. We see them walk in a new manner. They've seen the cross. They've seen the resurrection. That's shaped them. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. And you see this transformation of their lives. I love being able to see that in Scripture. I long for that to happen with you and I. That over the course of time, it's difficult to see we're in the midst of when we're in the midst of it, living it. It's easier to see in Scripture when we can see years and we can read it. But I long for that to happen in my heart and in your heart. That God would be at work raising up leaders. God would be at work building people. God would be at work reaching the Matthews, reaching people far from God. And God would be exposing the Pharisee type of heart in us that is prone to trust in ourselves. That God would be raising up full-time missionaries and, and elders and community group leaders and worship leaders and as well as those who see their work as worship to God. Not just full-time mission ministry stuff, but people who go into schools and their homes and their workplaces on mission for the Lord. Who recognize that the Lord owns all of it. He's bought, our, bought us with a price and so we are His. We are His 24-7. It is all worship. Nothing is ever wasted. Peter goes from missionary to or fisherman to fishing for people. Matthew goes from tax collector to fishing. So this is not just about career changes, although that, that's my story and what it looks like to follow Christ. But it's much larger than that. It's about the eternal kingdom of God that we get to be a part of. We get to be a part of work that lasts. A making a disciple is never wasted work. And in the end, when we depend on the Lord, God is the one who gets the glory because He is able to use people like you and me who have sinned and rebelled and rejected, turned away. He's able to redeem our lives, set us free so that we might love Him, serve others, make disciples, follow and fish. This is why we are here, to live for someone greater, to invest our time, our talent, our money into something far more eternal to live for a greater purpose than today to follow and to fish for nearly 14 years god has been doing great work here i could tell you lots of stories may those who call this church home say yes to continuing that work to make disciples to reach the lost to love god love others to follow and to fish. If the worship team could come back up. We've been talking about these prayers that we have for 2017. 
and uh, these six prayers. And so I want to pray through those as the worship team comes back up and before we go back into worship and singing. So, Father God, I pray that you would wake us to the reality of what it looks like to truly follow you, what it, what it looks like to, to fish for people. Wake us to the reality of eternity. Wake us to the reality of, of your work and your presence, as well as the people that you've called us to show and tell of your good news. I pray that you'd humble us. I pray that we would be dependent upon you, that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but trust in you. I pray that you would change us, that we wouldn't just go seek to change others, but in that process, Lord, that you would change our own hearts, that we wouldn't be above that transforming work. I pray that you would anchor us to your word, your living and active word that shapes and transforms and sanctifies and exposes. Teach us to be people of your word. Grow in us a love for your word to not neglect it, but to delight in it. Unite us as a people. I'm grateful for the truth that we follow and fish alongside one another. But to follow you is not an individual thing, but it's a family, body, house, church gathering together to follow and to fish. And I pray that you would send us, Lord. We want to be prayerful. We want to be watchful. We want to see you open up doors so that we might be full of grace and truth. We love you. We thank you for the joy that it is to join you in this work. Remind us of that and do incredible work in and through us, not for our glory, but for yours. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand up and worship. You choose the humble and raise them high. You choose the weak and make them strong. You heal our brokenness inside and give us life. The same love that set the captives free. The same love that opened eyes to see is calling us all by name. You are calling us all by name. Say
You're calling, you're calling us to the cross. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling us to the cross. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling us to the cross. Same love that set the captives free. give an offering, I pray that we would have a posture of worship, a posture of thanksgiving, a posture of joy, and I pray that what is given, Lord, that you would use it to advance your kingdom, that it would go to your kingdom work. It wouldn't be about us, it would be about you, it would be about your glory, about your name, about your fame, and about your good news reaching more and more. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let your mercy rise, let your hope breeze out, let your love in our hearts be found. Let your grace run free, let your name bring peace, heaven come in the here and
Father, that's our prayer. We pray it in your name. Amen. Meet somebody new before you leave. See you next Sunday. God bless.